0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Barker for this week's message from Story Point Church. you would close your eyes. Take a moment and focus on your breathing. Think about the process. Think about the control that you have over it. Focus on the air as it enters your nostrils. And as you're breathing, the air that goes down your esophagus, down your throat. And as you're breathing, your lungs expand because of the air that's within them. Focus on that. your rib cage expanding your your chest expanding as the air enters your lungs and then you exhale and your lungs collapse and they push the air out and the air exits through your throat and exits out your nostrils or your mouth. And then the process repeats itself. Over and over and over again. You have the ability in this moment to stop that process. You can stop breathing momentarily. but after just a little while it starts back again. Okay, you can open your eyes. Your know, breathing is one of those things that we take for granted. The only time we really think about our breathing are the moments when we're out of breath. We've been exercising, we've been running, and I have to catch that breath. Or I've had some type of accident, and I've had the wind knocked out of me, and I have to focus on breathing in that moment. But for the majority of the time, we don't think about breathing. Now think about it from this perspective for just a moment. What a blessing that is. That you don't have to think about every single breath that you breathe. Can you imagine how miserable that would be? You had to focus on it every single time. Now for those who have had some type of injury to their ribs, you know the pain that is involved in breathing. How you do think about it every single breath. How the pain from the injury causes breathing to be painful. But unless there's an accident, or unless something happens to cause you to be out of breath, it's one of these things we don't think about. My goodness, if we had to think about breathing, we would never sleep, would we? It would be impossible to sleep because I had to always think about breathing. But breathing is one of those gifts of God that come automatically to our bodies. It's like blinking. We don't think about it. It's like our heart beating. It beats without us having to think about it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that our breathing is not something I have to think about all the time. But see, there's a flip side to that also. The idea that I never have to think about it causes me to rarely think about it, which means I can very easily take it for granted. And that's not a good thing, because here's what we know about the truth of Scripture. We know that in Scripture, everything that is in Scripture is placed there by God intentionally. Now, that's what I believe. I don't believe that there's a word out of place. I believe that every word is there For our benefit, because God has something at some point in the history of my life to teach me, even in the genealogy. Those names that we cannot pronounce, it's over and over and over. But we believe the truth of Scripture, we believe the truth is God-breathed, God-inspired, that the Holy Spirit of God spoke Scripture. Scripture into the hearts and the minds of the individuals who wrote down the Scripture. That it's God-breathed, God-inspired. That every single word is there for a reason. So if we believe that about Scripture, how does that affect the way that we view Scripture? Perhaps, perhaps we should intentionally take some time to think through and process Scripture a little bit differently. Perhaps, instead of reading chapter by chapter at a time and book after book without end, perhaps we should slow down occasionally anyway and look at every single thing that's written in Scripture because we find some interesting things in Scripture, especially about the air that we're breathing. So why do I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the air that we're breathing when for the last number of weeks we've been focusing on this holiness foundation? Because it ties together. Because here we are in a transition. We've spent a number of weeks focusing on the holiness of God. Looking at Leviticus nineteen two that God is holy, Therefore we are commanded to be holy. We've looked at how the the, the examples in Scripture that we see God high and lifted up, what the throne room looks at looks like. And we've come to this conclusion based on the truth of Scripture, the foundation that God is holy. period. That Jesus is holy, period. That the Holy Spirit is holy, period. And I told you last week, we're now starting to transition this week into the life application. Now that we understand, now that we have this foundation, this truth that God's holy and that I'm commanded to be holy, how do I live that out? And that's where we're starting today. So we're going to look at at Hebrews chapter 6 in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want us to focus on breathing. Why? Because we need to understand that the breath that God gives us is a gift from God that is used to empower and feed our very bodies to do the very things that He's commanded us to do. Because the holiness of God is foundational, but what is also foundational is the life essence within us is a gift from God used to be honor and glory to Him. That's the purpose of it. There's a church historian named Eusebius of Caesarea, lived in the 300 ADs, late 200s, early 300s, and he wrote a book called Ecclesiastical History. It's the ecclesiastical history of the church. It's church history. Eusebius was considered the first church historian. I love history, especially church history. And we find out some interesting things in Eusebius' writing, one of which is about a A um, individual by the name of Theophilus of Antioch. Now, Theophilus of Antioch was a bishop in the city of Antioch, in the church of Antioch, around 170 A.D. Now, you do the math, that's around 1,850 years ago, ballpark. Pretty old guy. He's about 100, 150 years after Christ. The writings of the Scripture had already been passed around. And this church leader knew the Scripture, and he knew something that I think perhaps some of us may have forgotten about the truth of God. I want to read this quote that Theophilus wrote many, many years ago ago about the breath of God. Listen to this quote. God has given to the earth the breath which feeds it. It is His breath that gives life to all things. And if he were to withhold his breath, everything would be annihilated. His breath vibrates in yours, in your voice. It is the breath of God that you breathe, and you are unaware of it. Wow! Let that sink in for just a moment. The advantage, the taking advantage of the breath of God that we have in our world, in our lives. You see, there is nothing we can do in this world that breath is not required. You cannot eat without breathing. You cannot drink without breathing. You cannot drive a car without breathing. You cannot think without breathing. Your mind would cease to work. You could not pick up a fork without breathing. You could not tie your shoes or slip them on without breathing. You could not walk around the park without breathing. You could not have a conversation with your children, grandchildren, or grandparents without breathing. You could not comb your hair without breathing. You could not shave without breathing. You could not cook without breathing. Do you see this could go on for quite a while, right? We could continue with this list through eternity, and there is nothing in this life that we can do without breathing. Breathing is absolutely necessity for life. Without breath, life ceases to exist as we know it. The reality around us, this flesh and bone, cease to exist. It dies without breath. So what does the Bible say about breath? That's kind of the point of this. Because we can come up with ideas and processes and our own thoughts about the necessity of breathing all day long. I want to take just a moment before we look at Hebrews chapter 6 and start talking about life application of the holiness of God to grasp the depth and the importance of the breath of God in your life in this moment. We'll begin with the book of Job. Now the story of Job is a very old story. In fact, many biblical historians agree and believe that Job, quite possibly, was the very first book written in all of Scripture. It's considered to be older than the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, which was almost completely written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Even before these first five books were written, it's believed that Job was written before that. This story of Job and the struggle in his heart and his life. Now, we're not going to talk about the struggles of Job because that's not the point. But what I want to look at is a couple of verses in Job that talk about the breath of God. In Job chapter 33, verse 4, the author writes, The Ruach El, the Spirit of God, has made me the breath of Shaddai, gives me life. Now, Shaddai, in most translations, is translated as Almighty. So the breath of the Almighty has given me life. Now, for those in in youth ministry, we've studied the name Shaddai, and we know that the literal meaning of the word Shaddai is all-sufficient. The all-sufficient God gives us breath. So when you see this word, should I, it could also be translated as all-sufficient. So the Spirit of God has made me the breath of the all-sufficient One, gives me life. Think about that for a moment. The breath of Of the all-sufficient God is what sustains the very life essence of you and me in this moment. The reality that we understand, the breath that we breathe, the life that we engage in, is because of the breath of the all-sufficient God in our lives as a gift. A beautiful gift. In Genesis, in the creation story, we see then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then Jehovah Elohim, Jehovah God, the Lord God, formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. So the man became a living being. Now that's a creation story. We all know that story. The majority of us know that story. That when God created mankind, when He created Adam, He breathed into him the breath of life. The breath of God filled His lungs and He began to breathe life. In Isaiah, the prophet writes, Isaiah chapter 42 verse 5 Yehovah El, the Lord God, created the heavens and stretched them out. He shaped the earth and all that comes from it. He gave life to the people who are on it. That's you and me, guys. He gave life to the people who are on it and breath to those who walk on it. The life that we have is a gift given by God. The breath that we have is a gift given by God. Why is there a distinction? We acknowledge, we're Christ followers. We acknowledge that our lives are gifts from God. We acknowledge that easily. We would testify to that. We would say that. But we also have to, in that same breath, acknowledge that the breath itself is a gift from God. Because the two are required. Without breath, the life that is given dies. It's not enough for God to give us life if we do not have His breath within us as well. Because the life that He gives us would cease to exist after just a few minutes of time if the breath was not given as well. The necessity that's there. In Acts Chapter 17, Dr. Luke records this in verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hands, nor is He served by human hands, as if He needs anything. Since He Himself gives to everyone life, and breath, and all things. Who is everyone? Well, that includes all of us in this room, all of us that are gathered together. This includes everyone who ever existed, everyone who exists now, and everyone who will exist sometime in the future. And what is it that Dr. Lute records as giving to each of us? Life, breath, and everything in our lives. It are gifts us. From God. Not only is my body a gift from God, my life a gift from God, the breath that I breathe a gift from God, every single thing that I have is a gift from God. The house that we live in, the food that we eat, the clothes on our backs. Well, God didn't give those to me. I went and bought them. Where'd the money come from? Well, I had to earn it. Well, how did God, how did that come from? God gave you the ability to go out and earn finances or someone to give you finances or someone to help you grow food. My goodness, everything in our lives are gifts from God. We're the ones that separate that. We're the ones that say some things are of God and some things not of God. That's false teaching. That is not accurate. That is not truth. Everything is a gift from God. So let's grasp that and walk in that. Because this is a holiness issue, is it not? If I associate only certain things with God, then only certain things need to be holy. However, if I associate everything as a gift from God, everything is something that God's poured into my heart and my life and given me, then everything revolves around holiness. You see, the foundation there is so important. It all overlaps. It all ties together. The foundation of the holiness of God is critical. Let me look at an example of the breath of God from the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. Now, there's many incredible stories about Daniel. In Daniel, you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the fiery furnace, you see the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But another one of those really great stories that I loved as a little kid, especially in the VBS-type settings when we learn these Bible stories, is the story of Belshazzar, the bad king, and the handwriting on the wall. Do you remember that story? Daniel chapter 5. Go back and read it, because I'm not going to go through all of it. Go back and read that. It's a crazy, awesome story. So let me set the stage for you before we read that scripture. Belshazzar has all of the holy relics that came out of the tabernacle, out of the temple, when, when the Israelites were taken into captivity. All the plates, all the cups, all these great, wonderful, sacred instruments that were used to bring honor and glory to God by the Israelite people was now taken into captivity. Now, Belshazzar said, man, these are really cool. Silver and gold, they're beautiful. How about we have a party with them? And so he began to party with them. And on these sacred plates, they would eat and the sacred cups, they would drink. God didn't take too kindly to that. And Daniel had a word for Belshazzar. I want you to listen to this word because it talks about the breath that he is breathing. Daniel chapter 5, verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all of this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You had the vessels of his house brought before you and you and your nobles and your consorts and your concubines have been drinking wine in them. You have praised the gods made of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. Yet you did not honor the God who holds in His hands your very breath and all your ways. And that statement is true to each and every one of us. Now hopefully the condemnation aspect of that is not written toward each and every one of us. Hopefully we are not living in outright defiance against the God of the, of God of God's, uh, God of the universe. Hopefully that's not where we are as individuals, as Christ followers, because we're supposed to be walking in holiness and purity. That should be our heart's cry, our heart's desire but acknowledging the truth that in the very hands of God, our breath is being held. Ezekiel chapter 37, another one of those great, great Bible stories from Sunday school where Ezekiel prophesied to the dry bones, the valley full of dead, dry, scattered bones to come back together and the flesh come back into them and life come back into them. Absolutely incredible story. Ezekiel chapter 37, Then he said to me, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, Prophesy over these bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of Yehovah. Thus says Adonai Yehovah, the master of all Yehovah, to these bones, behold, I will cause spirit to enter you, so you will live. I will attach tendons to you, bring flesh on you, and cover you with skin. Then I will put breath in you. You will live and you will know that I am Jehovah. How beautiful is that? That example that, guys, it doesn't matter if we've got flesh and bone. Flesh and bone by itself does not lead to life. There must be that breath of God. The breath of that you are breathing in this moment is a gift from God to be used to honor and glorify Him. One more verse before we look at Hebrews. And this is one more. I, wanted, I started with Job. I want to end with Job. A chapter later in Job 34, we're told this, If he, being God, were to set his heart on it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and mankind would return to dust. Think about that for just a moment. This was not truth spoken thousands of years ago only, this is truth for today. The truth for today is that if God set His heart on it and gathered to Himself both His Spirit that dwells within us and His breath that dwells within us, all flesh, not just my flesh, not just your flesh, all of humanity would cease to exist, would return to dust of the earth, would die and be gone, would be annihilated. The breath of God fills our very lungs for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to him in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we breathe, in the way that we communicate, in the way that we talk, in the way that we live, in every aspect of our hearts and our lives. So this foundation of holiness of God is vital. And now, how do we live this out? How do we walk this out? What does that actually look like in our hearts and our lives? It's serving God with every essence of who we are. You see, honestly, this is a maturity issue. This is about maturity. Now, one of the things we have to grasp about maturity is we have this idea that age equals maturity, but that's not truth. Now, from the aspect of maturity, when you look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it's talking about spiritual maturity here. But what we're really talking about more than anything here is the idea of walking into holiness, walking into the more of God. More in our hearts, more in our lives, more in this outpouring of who we are. Being mature in our faith. So when you look at Hebrews chapter 6, the very first beginning of this chapter, he's talking about not being spiritually immature, not focusing on things that you already know, not trying to argue about things that don't really matter, but focusing on being mature. Yet in our world, we understand that maturity is not an age thing. It's not physically, nor is it spiritually. We know that. We have this Western mentality going on in our churches today and in our world. And this Western mentality is, it doesn't matter how old you are to be mature. You can be 20, 30, 40 years old, still be living home with mom and dad, and not be mature. And we have people in our very culture that live that way. Is that not true? Okay? Now, I'm not talking about because there's issues, there's some type of problem. I'm talking about because they're not mature. They're not living on their own. They're not taking care of what they need to take care of. We have a culture, this Western mentality has taught us you never have to age up, you never have to mature, you never have to aspire for more. You can satisfied with where you're at. You don't have to chase after the more. And because we don't chase after the more society, we don't chase after the more of God. And so we have people in our churches around this western world, around this western church, that are not spiritually mature regardless of their age. Now in our very church, we have 12 and 13 and 14 years old that are walking in spiritual maturity. Now, they may not be as mature as those who have walked with Christ 20, 30, 40 years, but for 14, 15, 16 years old, we got some spiritually mature teenagers. In a world of where 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds are not spiritually mature, we're setting the standard. We're stating. We're changing the standard. But we also live in a world where just because you're 40 years old and you've been in the church for 42 years and you're 42 years old, you're not spiritually mature. And so the whole battle is, what does it look like to be spiritually mature? Asking for the more, chasing after the more, desiring the more. See, holiness is a maturity issue as well. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a maturity issue as well. Desiring more of God is a maturity issue as well. You see how it all overlaps and it all ties together. Holiness, maturity, hungering and thirsty for righteousness, desiring more of God, impacting the world for the cause of Christ, demonstrating with my hands and feet, demonstrating and proclaiming with my mouth the truth of who God is. All of that is a maturity issue. So in our Western world... I think it was Sarah earlier talking about this, that, that we live in a Western world where, hey, all i got to do is show up at some kind of service somewhere in the United States once a week, once a month, and I'm, I'm good with God. And you may be good, from, good with God from a salvation issue, but from a maturity issue, no, we're not. And it's not about the number of times that you go to church because that's the wrong mentality. I can go to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, never miss a service and not be spiritually mature. See, it's something that happens within me. It's that hungering and thirsting within me. It's that craving of God within me. It's that acknowledging the breath of God within me craves desire wants more. It's that chasing after God and not letting go. It reminds me of my almost three-year-old, Anna Faith. She'll chase after me from the other side of the room. She'll run full blast, grab a hold of my leg, and hold on tight. And I'm walking. I'm trying to pick up this big old baby and walk. You've seen that. All of you know these examples of the little kids that are, that are attached to mom and dad's leg. And that's what we're called to do as Christ followers. We're supposed to be those little kids who are chasing after daddy and grabbing a hold of his leg and saying, I'm not letting go because I want to be with you. I want what you have. I want more of you in my heart and my life. In the spiritual realm, to be three years old, spiritually hungering and thirsting and desiring and not letting go of God is what He desires. God loves us so much. He loves you so much. And his heartfelt desire is for you to reach up your arms and grab hold of him and hold him and embrace the Daddy King, who spoke the universe into existence, but took time to form you inside of your mother's wombs with his hands. The Daddy King who's sitting on the throne, but takes time to stop all the kingly duties to be Daddy. And to hold you. And to love you. And to comfort you. The daddy king that loves you so much that he gives you breath after breath. After breath. After breath. After breath. After breath. After breath. breath. Sings over you as you sleep. Knows the number of hairs or lack thereof on your head. breath that we have that he gives us is to walk that breath empowers our legs to walk and to walk in humility and humbleness to walk in love and integrity to walk the path of righteousness to chase after him to hunger and thirst for more of him so how do we begin to do that Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. We're going to look at these just three verses for just a few minutes. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love that he showed you that you showed for his name in having served and continuing to serve the people. But we long for each of you to show the same eagerness for the certainty of hope to the very end. So you will not be sluggish or lazy, depending on your translation, but imitators of those inheriting the promises through trust and perseverance. So I had an impossible task this past week. I told you last week in the service as we kind of concluded the foundational talk, of the holiness of God that we're going to start putting into place this life application. How do I walk it out day in and day out in my life? What does it actually look like to walk in holiness, to be holy? And for the next few weeks, we're really going to camp in Hebrews chapter 12 and 13 because when you read Hebrews, those last two chapters are slam-packed full of life application. This is how you walk it out. But then the impossible task of how do I sum up Hebrews 1 through 11 in order to talk about Hebrews 12 and 13 is an impossible task. Quite honestly, someone could stand on stage for a solid year and maybe get through all of Hebrews. It's that much information there. It's so rich. It's so thick. It's permeating with the goodness of God. There's so much truth there. I just can't do it. And so you have homework for next week. Your homework for next week is to read Hebrews. Can you do that? Just read the book of Hebrews. Thirteen chapters. That's two chapters per day. Or you can read 13 chapters, seven times, however you want to do it, to set the foundation so you can let this sink in and ask God, God, speak to me. Holy Spirit, you wrote this. Speak to me. Prepare my heart. I want to live this out. I want to walk in holiness. I want to walk in purity. I want the more. I want to do what you say. So give me more. Ask for the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to fill you as you read this. Because I cannot sum it up. But where I stopped at, where I camped at, and I looked at all these different nuggets, there's so much goodness. So many verses, you read the Hebrews, you're like, "Oh, I've heard that one before, and I know that one, I've memorized that one. There's so much truth there. But to set the stage for life application, we have to look and remember of the, the breath of God that dwells within us. So from that lens, from a holiness lens... And from this lens of understanding, the breath within my very lungs in this very moment is a gift for God given to me by Him to be able to impact the world. We look at verse 10. For God is not unjust. God is not unjust. And the breath within you is very proof of that. If God were just, much less unjust, if God was just in such a way... That for any sin, any separation of Him, the only justice is the loss of life. The loss of that breath. And because of one sin in our life, if God was truly as just as some of us think that He is, He would remove that breath of life and our life would cease to exist in a matter of minutes. God is not unjust. The breath within each of us is living proof of the justice of God and the love of God. Because if justice prevailed without love, breath would cease to exist within us. You know that about yourself, don't you? Because I know it about me. You can look in that spiritual memory, in that spiritual mirror, and you can look internally, and you can say if God was just without love, I would cease to exist in this moment. God is not unjust. The breath within us is proof of that. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work. Now we're going to continue with this verse in a moment because it's not about working to draw favor from God. But work is very important. God will not forget the work that you do with your hands and with your feet. God will not forget the work you do with your voice. When it all is done to bring honor and glory to Him, He will not forget that. Now, just as an example, some of the things that we talked about last week, we talked about last week some of the needs on our campus Physical needs that needed to take place on the campus. Time management things that need to be taken care of on the campus. Things that were torn up, messed up, broken, that need to be replaced on this campus. And in your bulletins, you should have had a form that looks like this with some of the different pictures that were taken from this very week over the course of seven days. We had so many people come up on our campus and do physical labor here, cleaning Washing, taking care of, tearing down and rebuilding, things of that nature on the campus. God will not forget that, even though we will forget that in a month, in a year, in six years. All of that will be forgotten. In ten years' time, none of the things that were done this past week on this campus will be remembered. It will be gone. They'll be lost. But God will not forget. God will not forget the work that you have done. You see, there has to be that balance as Christ followers, demonstration and proclamation of the universal reign of God. Isn't that right, Sarah? Demonstration and proclamation of the universal reign of God is our responsibility as Christ's followers. That is the work. Guys, it's not about the team that goes to Guatemala. How would you feel as a church body? Think about this for a moment. How would you feel as a church body if you knew that you sent team after team after team for us, Guatemala? Year after year, four or five teams a year going down there. Doing great work, building greenhouses. Doing medical clinics. Building, constructing. But not once ever proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is. Not once telling one person, we're here because God loves you and Jesus died for you. How would that make you feel? That would break my heart. Now the truth is, we do both we do this balance of demonstrating the love of God and proclaiming the love of God. It has to be done but it's not about Guatemala and it's not about Saga in India. It is about each of us living that life That lifestyle where we work, where we live, in our families, in our community, on this campus, around this neighborhood, impacting the world for the cause of Christ. There's this balance of demonstrating and proclaiming the universal reign of God through Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's our directive as Christ followers to work. And God is not unjust as to forget the work that we do, that you do, that I do. He's not going to forget it. But there is some stipulation here. In verse 10, he says, not to forget your work and the love that you showed for His name. You see, it has to be done in love. Demonstration and proclamation without love, I dare say that's heretical. How can we demonstrate And proclaim truth without love. Because if God lived that lifestyle, if God demonstrated that lifestyle for us, we wouldn't be here. That's justice without love, truth without love, and that's not the essence of who God is. There is that balance, and so for us, we're called to that balance. We're called to walk into that. We're called to live that type of lifestyle. As Christ followers, we must demonstrate and proclaim the universal reign of God through Jesus Christ, and we do that through love. I tell the teenagers this all the time. This campus should be the safest place on the planet. And I'm talking about from bad guys coming and shooting things up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about language and love. This should be a condemnation-free zone. This should be a loving zone. This should be a non-conflict type of zone. Now we know we live in the real world and things like this happen all the time, but this is supposed to be a safe place where I can pour out my heart to you my pain, my struggle. And you should be able to pour out your heart to me. Your pain and your struggle. And instead of getting a finger pointing back or gossip happening, talking behind your back, we look at each other eyeball to eyeball, hand, hand in hand, and we pray for each other. And we encourage each other. And we lift each other up. That's the calling of a Christ follower. And that's the purpose of our gathering here. It's supposed to be safe and when it's safe, and when it's done in love, both on this campus and off this campus, when we live life together, when we're impacting the world, when we're changing our community, when we're changing our workplace, when we're changing our family dynamic, the promise of Scripture is truth. God is not unjust, and He will not forget the work that, you've done, that you have done and the love that you show His people. He's not going to forget it. having served them and continuing to serve the people. In verse 11, but we long for each of you to show the same eagerness. You see, eagerness is a necessity for the Christ follower. Paul talked about it in, in, in his letter to the, Corinth, uh, the church in Corinth. He said, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Hunger and thirst for righteousness is the words that Jesus used. That's action on our part. That's the requirement for us as Christ followers. I have to choose in this moment... Because it doesn't matter about yesterday, it doesn't matter about five minutes ago. I can't change the past. The moment is now. And in this moment, I choose to hunger and thirst for more of God. I choose to eagerly desire more. I choose to ask for more, to desire more, to crave more, to ask God to cleanse me, to purify me, to make me a holy vessel so that He can use me for more. More of Him in me so that I can be used to impact the world for the cause of Christ. This isn't a pastor's prayer. This isn't a preacher's prayer. This is a prayer of a Christ follower. This isn't a Sunday school teacher's prayer. It's a prayer of a Christ follower. God, cleanse me. Purify me. I want more of you. That's what he's talking about here. That's what the author's talking about. Eagerly desiring the more. It's a choice. It's intentionality. Christ said, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's a choice. Asking God to cleanse me, it's a choice. Choosing more of God, asking for more of God, it's a choice. God will honor you not asking for more. And that's sad. And I wish it wasn't so. But God will honor you not praying and asking Him for more. He'll honor that lack of a prayer. He won't give it to you. But if you eagerly desire, and that's the heartbeat of being written to this church, eagerly desire more of God. He's not going to forget. He's not going to forget those prayers where you're crying out saying, I don't understand. I just want more. He's not going to forget. In the midst of your pain and suffering, you still walk in holiness and purity. You still help those who are helpless and, and cry with those who are crying and lift up those who are broken and hurting. He's not going to forget Your love that you show one another. And so we cry, we long for each of you, for each of us to show the same eagerness for the certainty of hope to the very end. What's the certainty of hope that we have? Jesus. What's the certainty of hope? It's Jesus and Jesus alone. The certainty of hope is the gift of God that dwells within you. When you say yes to Jesus, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit of God to dwell within you. A deposit guaranteeing what is to come, life everlasting. A deposit guaranteeing what is to come, the continuation of your life here on earth and a filling of the Holy Spirit of God. There's more we simply have to chase after. it. There's more I have to desire it. There's more. Can you imagine... Someone offering you a gift, and your only requirement is to go up and take it. New car, new house, new boat, whatever it is that, that tickles your imagination. Someone offers that to you, and your only requirement is to go get it. It's the same offering that Jesus offers us. It's the same offering we have with the Holy Spirit of God. He simply says, come and get it. Ask for it. Ask for it. Come and get it, and I will give it to you. Need some more faith? Ask, God's going to give it to you. Need some more wisdom? Ask, God's going to give it to you. You need to make wise choices? Ask, God's going to help you do that. Hunger, thirst, eagerly desire more of God. In verse 12, so that you will not be sluggish or lazy. We live in a western culture. I talked about that a few minutes ago. This western church that we live in, casual comfortable Christianity. It's an epidemic. It's demonic. It's not of God. Casual, comfortable Christianity. It's the antithesis of, of God himself. This casual, comfortable Christianity, this laziness, the sluggardness when it comes to our faithfulness in God, our obedience to God, it's epidemic in our world, in our culture. But thank you, Jesus, we see sparks we see flames. We see movements of God if our eyes are open and we're actually looking. We see some things happening. And my heart and my cry and my prayer for each and every one of us in this room is that we are the very sparks that other people are looking at to get that momentum. That we are the flames that are being used To light that next candle for that next person who's going to be a light to the world. Let us not be casual, comfortable church. Let us not be a casual, comfortable Christian. Let us not be a casual, comfortable culture here as our gathering. We want more. I want more. I want to see miracles happen in our church. Does anybody else here want to see miracles happen in our church? Now, I don't know what your idea of a miracle is. Maybe it's a lame person walking. Maybe it's a deaf person hearing. My idea of a miracle is this. Anything that we cannot explain other than saying it's a move of God. That's what I want to see happening. I want to see that happening on our campus, on Sundays and Wednesdays and gatherings. But I want to see it happening... In the stories, when you share your stories, in your home, in your work, in your life. I want God to move. I I want more, but not just for me, for us, as a body. Will you join me in that prayer? Will you join me in that heart cry? Because I can pray it for us all day long, but there's power in numbers. I don't know why God does that. But when one person cries out, it's beautiful. When hundred cry out, it shakes the earth. I want to see miracles. Those same yeah, the, the deaf being healed, get restoring. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the lame walking. I want to see that. I want to see marriages restored. Marriages restored that everybody else said was dead and done. I want to see restored. Why? Because that's a move of God that we can't explain. I want to see businesses thrive. They were on the brink of collapse. Why? Because only God could do that. And as Christ followers, we're moving in obedience. I want to see a move of God on this campus that can only be explained as God showed up. To Him be the glory. Period. Period. We don't need all this other huff and fluff and explanation. God showed up. Period. There was a move. I want that. I don't want that on occasion. I want that to be our lifestyle. I want that to be our DNA. I want that to be who we are known for. A God-fearing group of people who expect more and ask for more. That's what we're talking about in Scripture. The very breath within us crying out and asking for more. So do not be sluggish. Do not be lazy but be imitators of those inheriting the promises through trust and perseverance. This is where we're going to stop. Be imitators. Now we know this because of culture, but these teenagers, the children that are up there right now, they're imitators of what you they see. They're imitators of us as adults. Okay? and the little kids are watching the older kids, and the older kids are watching the teenagers, and the teenagers are watching the young adults, and the young adults are watching the other adults, and and it just kind of flows down. Are we going to change our culture? Are we going to be the ones that change this culture? Are we going to be the ones that change our community? Are we going to be the ones that set that example? Are you, as a spiritually mature adult, willing to put a battle line, draw a line in the sand, and say, this next generation is going to walk in more freedom than we are right now because we are going to put on a shield of faith and we're going to push and we're going to push and we're going to push in the spiritual realm so that these next generation are further along than we were and then they put on that shield of faith and they push and they push and they push in that spiritual realm until that next generation walks in more. Is that the type of imitation that we're setting up for this next generation? Are we living that type of lifestyle? Because guys, we can pray for miracles all day long, and God can move in miracles all day long. But what's required of us? Doing the fighting, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness. We start living that life. The next generation is going to walk in freedom a little bit further, and the next generation, and next generation. Suddenly, our culture has changed. Be imitators. And then the last two words that he says here, look at these last two words, trust and perseverance. Those are key. His breath is within me. I have to trust that he's going to take care of tomorrow. And I can tell you quite honestly, that's been probably my biggest struggle in the last six months. I say six months, is probably all my life, but it's been more apparent to me in the last six months is this trust of God for tomorrow. I trust him right here for the now. I trust him for the next week and next month. in in most aspects of life but trusting him for the future what does it look like a year five years ten years down the road I've really struggled with that it's a trust issue that I have and I'm working through it I've acknowledged it and I've asked for help with it and he's helping me and then perseverance not giving up not giving up I've prayed three times and God didn't answer that prayer must not be his will Okay? You can believe that, you just can't defend it biblically. Who show me in scripture where it says after three prayers, five prayers, ten prayers, you're supposed to stop praying because God's it's not in God's will. You can't defend that biblically. Now you got examples of God answering prayers like that. You got examples of God, you know, with Paul saying, I've cried out to God a thousand times for this thing. It's not been taken away. Hadn't stopped him from praying and asking God to take it away. Don't stop praying. Persevere. Until there is no more breath within you. At that point, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Persevere as long as you have breath, and that very breath within you is a foundation of trust. If He loves you enough to allow you to continue to breathe, He loves you enough to continue to take care of you. It's tough living this out, walking this this faith journey. It's not easy, but when you hunger and thirst for more and hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we link hands, we link arms together. What an impact that is. Doesn't it feel better to be linked arm in arm? That's what we're called to do here. This is a battle. Let's not fool ourselves. Casual, comfortable Christianity may not be tough. It may not be a battle. Walking in holiness, walking in faithfulness, walking in purity, it's a battle. Battle of the mind, battle of the emotion, battle of the spirit, battle of the body. It's all a battle. But we know the truth of Scripture. The battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against myself, and it's not against others. It's against principalities and dominions and powers in the heavenlies. So let's take the battle there, which is done through prayer. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we ask you to fill... Fill this room with even more of you. More of you, more of you, more of you. This is the day that you have made, and in this moment we choose to rejoice and be glad in it. This is the air that we breathe. This is the breath that you have given us. We acknowledge that and we thank you for it. I ask for transformation to take place. I ask for a miracle. Father, I want to see miracles here. I want to see a miracle on our campus. I want to see a, a miracles and things that can only be explained as a move of you taking place here in the spiritual realm, in the spirits of the people here, in the emotional realm, and in the physical. This is all yours. Our bodies are yours, our minds, they belong to you as Christ followers. You tell us to take every thought captive, to take every thought toward you. And we live in a world that's destructive. We're in a world that tries to tear us down and destroy our relationship with you. And it feeds us lies. And it feeds us sin issues. And it feeds us condemnation and regret. God, these are not of you. These are of the evil ones, so we acknowledge that. We ask for clean hands, a pure heart, and a resolute spirit. We ask to be unified with you. We ask for more of you. More of you. More of you. In Jesus' name.